Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. So to round out our Open House year, because tonight's our second last live program for the year, how about that? We've been talking wisdom with our human condition guru, clinical psychologist Lynn Worsley. There is much Worsley wisdom to mine. Lynn, welcome back. Thanks Great for having to see. me, Lynn. She's just jumped in the chair. Now, if people missed our chat last week, Lynn, take us through uh, briefly what we covered there and where you'll be taking us this week. Okay. Well, last week we went through the felt sense. Okay. That wisdom is not really just knowledge and application of that knowledge, but it's also that felt sense of another and the awareness of the right time for insight. So the the quote we used was basically, you can have the right insight at the wrong time. It really makes it the wrong insight. Yes. And the other things we talked about was that the felt sense enables us to find a way towards goodness and wholeness and the positive deviance. So wisdom is the right insight into the ways to work towards positive deviance. Yes. I love that term. I'm sorry. I've thought about it a couple of times this week. <laughs> it's great, isn't being it? A positive so deviant. you can be deviant. Yes. It's all right. Positively, of course. <laughs> um, and this week we look at some of the wisdom practices in psychology. Okay. Um, Sometimes you, you call me a guru, but I, I'd like to say that a guru is not necessarily a wise person. Oh, you must be more than a guru. <laughs> <laughs> because guru implies someone who knows stuff. However, if we really want to see the real wise guru, we, we really need to see someone who is a mirror to another person, allowing the other person to gather their own sense of, or their own felt sense. So it's a bit of a two-way street. In it's, what's being reflected back. Yes, okay. yes. Yes. And so the term guru can sometimes imply the guru's ego is on show. and But that's not really a wise person who shows their ego. Definitely not. Um, and, and actually a wise person doesn't display the ego, but rather enables other people towards their own self-actualization. So when you say self-actualization, that's just kind of awareness. Yes, to move to, and I suppose in a lot of philosophies, they would say a higher plane. Yes. A higher realization of self. Mm. I I would say in the Christian philosophy, um, used in psychological terms, we sort of say transforming. Yes. Okay. Yes. And um, the place I want to go to this week is how do we get to a pathway towards a felt sense, and the wisdom of applying knowledge at the right time for the right purposes, and that each of us can move towards being a wise guru. Okay. Not just a guru. Not so take a- us through. I'm interested in this term felt sense um, and the meaning that has for each of us, perhaps. Okay. Firstly, in order to have a, a clear felt sense, there needs to be a clear sense of your own self. And we've talked about this sense of self many times on Open House, but it's a, it's a theme in psychology which when we begin to stand, study those who are resilient and wise and successful older people, we, we see that they have a peace in themselves which comes with the knowledge and acceptance of who they actually are. Mm. And then a willingness to reach out to others with the vulnerability. Um, In order to have insight, it's really important that a person has an honest and real experience of their own self. Yes. And this can last a whole lifetime and doesn't necessarily come with getting older. There are also some very grumpy, irritable, selfish and abrasive old people. So it's not just something that comes with age. But there's also those old people who have a sense of peace and satisfaction with their lives and the willingness to care for others even if they're in the final stage of their own lives. I've known both of those. Yes, yes. And, and when you see the latter, 
It is a wonderful, it is. incredibly impressive thing It to is. See. And, and I think there comes a point where we really have choice at every point of our lives to yeah. move towards that um, awareness of ourselves. And an awareness of ourselves is, is actually being comfortable with being vulnerable. Um, not defensive or reactive, but comfortable. And using the knowledge from our experiences in our body and from our past to determine an awareness of the moment that we're in at the moment. And when we are aware, aware of our own self, we have a realization of the meaning of past experiences and how they may have shaped our judgments, our opinions, and perhaps our reactions. And to do this, we become aware of patterns of behavior that we might see and how those patterns are repeated in ourselves is a common theme. So this is going to be how we'll feel somewhat comfortable with being vulnerable because it sounds a bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? Yes, yes, it does. But it, it, if, we have, if we see patterns in our own behaviour, often they come that, that are un, unpleasant. They come from hurtful experiences or from difficult relationships and from recurring thought patterns. Yes. And often we're obsessed with ourselves, well, we are obsessed with ourselves at the start of life, and it would be great that if we're not so still obsessed with ourselves at the end of our lives. So the gaining of wisdom comes from having such an awareness of ourselves that we don't have to be obsessed with getting what we didn't have or protecting ourselves from others so it doesn't hurt us again, and, and, but rather being a comfort in ourselves that enables our, us to reach out for other people for their sake. Okay, so that's the sense of self. How do we get to that place when we're all so not perfect? Well, I speak from personal experience. <laughs> Secondly, there's an awareness of our emotions that including the painful and unpleasant ones that are in us, such as fear. Yep. Um, and fear provokes anger and hostility and it can shape our personalities to become defensive, rude, arrogant and protective in our old age. But each of us have a past experience that shape us through our parents and through people around us. So that awareness is really, really important. Yes. Now, Carl Jung said, nothing has a stronger influence on us than the unlived lives or unlive, unlived life of the parents. So it's That's a powerful thing. Quite a statement. So a parent who's not perhaps lived life as they might have wished or to the fullest that they would have wished, they're trying to play that out in their children. Perhaps. Yes. But perhaps also that parent's parent and that parent's parent's parent. Oh, no. Okay, so the unlived life. So this is regrets, but it is also uh, emotions that don't have a play. So whatever in us that's unlived, that's what contro controls us and grips our identity. When you say unlived, you mean unfulfilled? Unlived is not acknowledged, not oh, lived okay. yes. through. Yep. So the therapeutic process of living the unlived life is really quite complex. When we're traumatized, we have unlived fear in our body and that needs to play itself out. Okay. So because we don't want to let our anger out and it's antisocial and unpopular, we cover it up and we say it's not there. So mm. it doesn't have a chance to live. And when we have an unlived grief, that needs, that needs also to be grieved. Yes. So... To cover that up, we quickly gather our lives up and try not to cry and don't let other, see, other people see our grief because it's antisocial and there's social constraints about how long we grieve. So we resist it and we bury the pain. Now, these are yeah. unlived emotions. Yes. 
So when we feel these experiences without resisting them or playing them down, we have a process of becoming more whole and complete rather than fighting it. There's another great saying that says, when we resist the pain within us, we have suffering. So it's not necessarily the suffering that's causing us the suffering. That's right. Wow. So the key is not to suffer, but to experience the pain without resistance. But also without being consumed by that suffering. That's right. Or that grief or that fear. That's right. And now it's consuming, being consumed or have any reaction to it so that you sit with it. Yeah. Okay. In psychological practice, we've dealt with this a bit before. We've got this term mindfulness. First of all, remind us about what that is. And it apparently links to that felt sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mindfulness is the practice. The practice of mindfulness is the remembrance of what is right here in the moment. Okay. So letting us to be tender with ourselves gives us the opportunity to pay attention to ourselves. So we can, so we can let up, us bring up that anger and fear and let it sit with us for long enough to understand the need for comfort. So for in, in mindfulness, what we would do, we, we would acknowledge, I have this fear, I'm, I'm angry or I'm frightened. And to just sit with it, you don't fight against it. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just there. And then when you're mindful of it, you're allowed then to give it some experience. It's letting it live in you. And then you are able to understand there's a need for comfort in that space. Our our survival brain doesn't like us getting out of our thoughts. So we don't learn to stay with that place of difficult pain and and when we do, we learn not to resist it in mindfulness. Yeah. And when we're in a position of awareness of ourselves about the reactions and protective mechanisms that present, prevent us from seeing another person, we then can actually block those reactions so we can actually make space for other people. Now, it's very complex. Yes. But the mindfulness practice actually takes a lot of the complexities out because it takes away all our reactions to our pain. But one of the points, I think, I think this might be right, that you can sit with it and you can be mindful of it, a problem or a difficulty, That's but it doesn't necessarily need to be immediately resolved. No. It's and just... in fact, if you resolve it, then you're having a reaction to it. Okay. And if you try and have a reaction to it, you then don't give it a lived experience. So it's good enough to just sit with something. That's right. See, I struggle with that because I think, I want to fix it. <laughs> Anybody else out there thinks that? But that's but that's a fair enough thing, I suppose. That's as well. right. Yeah. That's right. And I think all of us have that in us because we really don't want to have the pain. We're going to resist it. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask this? How is mindfulness different to something like prayer or meditation? Now, the practice of meditation is where we learn to zone down into our own state. However, I'd like to mention here that meditation for meditation's sake is a self-preoccupation. And, is it, and to really meditate according to the many religions that use it um, is to go to a place of awareness of the world around as well as our place in it so that there's a better relationship with the world. Okay. But I think what we've done is actually taken meditation into the Western world to give us permission to withdraw into ourselves and become a little bit more selfish and not deal with others. So it's not actually true meditation. I think, having lived a while, certainly through my life, I think we're living in an age of unprecedented self-absorption, maybe not just awareness, but complete self-absorption yes. and narcissism. 
Well, that's right. Yeah. And I think that's how we've turned this meditation practice into it in the Western world. But if you actually look at it in, in other countries, you'll actually see it is not meant to be like that. Okay. Um, when we're developing into wise people, remember it's a move towards positive deviance. So we need to see how we affect others, and we do that by understanding how others affect us. Right. That's the first step. We then learn to understand the pain that they that is caused and that effect others have on us, and then we feel the emotions that others may feel when we affect them. Yes. Yep. So that helps us to develop the skills for compassion. Now, compassion comes from experiences of feeling on the edge ourselves and feeling vulnerable and exposed. Now, coming back to meditation, what meditation is, it needs to be an opportunity to reflect with others and to understand the feelings of others as well as ourselves. So popular psychology is taking on the practice of mindfulness as a pathway to self-realization. But I think that the practice of prayer is another step again. Okay. And when we relate to others, we see a mirror of ourselves through their eyes. When we grow, then we can grow and change or protect and, and react to their view of us. Yes. However, when we practice prayer, we're in a relationship with the divine. And this gives us the opportunity to see ourselves as the divine sees us. And this is amazing. Yeah. Now, God sees the heart of us and he loves us and doesn't judge us. And when we pray, he lets us share our pain and he gently and tenderly cares for us because he loves us. Yes, yes. And this reflective experience gives us the opportunity to lose the protectiveness and to take on the comfort in our bodies. Yeah. So when we have this divine experience, we've got a process of healing which lets us heal others. So through prayer with the divine, we have the opportunity to master mindfulness, meditation, and the perfect mirror that is in that which gives us a transforming experience. And we're tapping into a power infinitely beyond ourselves which basically brought the world and the universe into being yeah that's right it it, it also gives us an, an experience of the world which is outside of our own reactions yes um i know people who've prayed and have been completely changed just during one prayer in that process and i also know from my own praying for people i actually gain new insight and understanding that i may not have had before I also feel safe with the divine and I can share myself in a much more vulnerable way, warts and all. So prayer is another step again. And what's interesting in the psychology, in psychology we have this, this sense of, oh, you know, religion is sort of um, not regarded as necessarily uh, the way to go, but it's okay, we'll give it a bit of airplay. But then we've moved to another space which says, oh, we need to be mindful. Oh, and then we, then we need to take on Eastern philosophies. And now we're moving into another space which says, actually, we've got research to say that prayer actually changes people. Yes. And we've even got research to say that prayer heals people. So we're going to get to another space at one point when I hope, if we don't pray for our clients, then we're actually not doing a good thing. That's interesting. But this this research is scientific research, I guess. That's and right. And not just the kind of propaganda of the church. And that's right. And remember, too, it's the last thing to be mentioned. Is it really? <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and uh, you know, what we know in terms of uh, resilient 
people and I think also with those who are wise in their elderly years, you look at their lives and they have a sense of purpose, they have a sense of meaning yeah. and, uh, and spirituality. I've often wondered this as we've been talking now, um, 18 months since we started the Human That's Condition. Wonderful. What a great result. Um, how the questions of faith, I'm not talking about religion, but questions of Christian faith are regarded within the realm of psychology. Do you think people are coming, is it, is it becoming more and more polarised against it or are people coming more to the realisation that, yes, this, this is, a, is an important factor or can be a significant factor in the healthy psychology of people? Um, I think it's actually acknowledged as being a healthy psychology of people. Yeah. Uh, I, I listen to colleagues and I listen to the masters quite often on podcasts and so on. Uh, one of the interesting things I've observed is that they look at um, how to get to this state rather than being actually in the state of relationship with God. Yeah. They don't talk about a relationship with God. They talk about a practice of religion, so a practice of mindfulness, a practice of prayer, and that's the answer. Mm. It's a bit like um, you know, seeing nature as God, whereas actually n- nature is the finger that points to God. It's, it's, it's that you know that they're missing the point in a lot of ways. But remember, that psychology is supposed to be a science. Yes. And so psychology is very much interested in research and looking at patterns of behavior. So they will, well, you're not allowed to say, oh, this is what's happening. This is the way it is. You need to actually have research to back it up. And but there is substantial research. There is substantial research. Credible research. Extremely. Yeah. Uh, there's a recent um, book put out by Maureen Minor um, from UWS and, um, and Wesley Institute okay. um, on um, hu- um, human flourishing and spirituality. Yes. Beautiful book. And she's quoting research all over the place of work that is regarded as, um, uh, as very high-level research which looks at spirituality and, and they open up that debate of um, different religions and also those people who are very spiritual and have a real relationship with God. Yeah. and the difference that makes. Now, finally, you've got um, three points from uh, a very wise one. Yes. A wise guru. Henry Nguyen. Yes. He's a wonderful writer. Um, he noted that the sign of success is threefold, and I think this applies to those who are wise and to wisdom. He says there are three signs of success. One, the ability to care for others. Two, to be grateful for what you have. And third and finally is to be vulnerable. And that happens when we pray. Now, that does actually, yes. Mm. That is. Mm. I, I get the first one, the ability to care. I get the second one, the ability to, great, to be grateful. But I think people might be surprised to think that a sign of success is to be vulnerable. Think about it. Yeah. If each time you are hurt and each time you reach out to somebody you are hurt and you're you shut down and you have reactions which protect you so you don't ever go out and reach out again, yep. then that's not successful living. Yeah. But if, you, if you're able to move to a zone where you can heal in yourself and then you can reach out again even though you're hurt, that's your vulnerable self. That's success. 
That's wisdom. And that's Lynn wisdom. Lynn Worsley, this is a great conversation. And you're finishing it off next week. People uh, turning up to the, our special live event will see you in the flesh in person. <laughs> You'll take us through the three wise men. Just briefly tell us where you're Well, coming. I've been thinking about the wise yeah. men. And I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about what it must have been like for them. And they were wise. They had lots of Eastern philosophy. They had lots of um, things that they you know, looked at the stars and so on. What were they searching for? So I'm really interested in, in thinking about what it would have been for them to have gone such a long way looking for Jesus. Look forward to it heaps. See you then. Thanks, Thanks. so much, Lynn. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.